if you choose to come into this field because you're passionate about writing, filmmaking, whatever it is, don't just approach your projects because you want to make yourself happy. You have to approach it where you see that this passion ability you have is a gift and ultimately a responsibility to make an impact. That's why personally for me, I try to choose projects that will make an impact. Things like Doc McStuffins, things like Winnie the Pooh, you know, things mm -hmm. that are going to make an impact for kids. And when I get people who have grown up and they come up to me and they're like, oh, I saw your movie. It inspired me to do this or that. I mean, what could be more fulfilling? Hi, I'm Jeffrey Allen Schechter, and welcome to Writer's Room Pros, a podcast of conversations with TV and film professionals where we talk about not just their work, but their approach to finding, developing, and ultimately telling stories for a living. On this episode, we welcome DreamWorks animation director and producer, Saul Blinkoff. Saul discusses how he achieved his childhood dream of working for Disney, the balance between animated versus live action storytelling, diversity in animated films, and much more. So Saul, how's it feel being the guest on the shortest podcast we're ever going to do? <laughs> Why would that be the shortest? Because we're talking animation and, you know, it's not a real thing. <laughs> It's not yeah. like a TV show. Yeah, I have actually yeah. heard that before. People are like, oh, you 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 make cartoons. I'm like, well, actually, it's animated features. It's animated television. It's not yeah. cartoons. Yeah, and, and, <laughs> yeah, and garbage men are sanitation right. you know, consultants or right. whatever. Right. Yeah. Now we yeah, we could. So we've known each other for a long time. So yeah. I, I don't think there's a conversation we're able to have without a couple of <laughs> you so giving me a hard time or me giving you a hard time about something. Right. Okay. So so why don't you go? That's why I'm here. <laughs> you needed a break from all I the love a you get at home. Excitement for today. That's right. Okay, well, we'll see if we can uh, step yeah. up to the plate for you. <laughs> so, what's what, just just briefly? Like, what was your journey? You know, as a, as an animator. How many how many minutes do you want that in? <laughs> forty five seconds. Okay, forty five seconds. Uh, so, look, I grew up in New York. I didn't grow up in Hollywood. I didn't know any film people. I didn't even know that a creative job was a possibility. Um, I, it was really. Uh, I was eleven years old. I saw the movie E. T. And that made me want to go into film. I remember actually tapping my mom at the end of the movie as the credits were rolling. And I'm like, mom, that's what I'm going to do someday. She's like, what, you want to leave planet Earth in a spaceship? <laughs> so I, I wanted to be a filmmaker. Um, I didn't know how to do that. I went to the library, got books on filmmaking, cameras, lenses, storyboarding. I found out the director of E.T., Steven Spielberg, made movies on the weekends. So I got a Super 8 camera, my twin sister, my older brother. Every weekend we're making movies. I made murder movies, monster movies. One movie I tied my sister up to a tree really tight. She's still there. Yeah. Well, we went <laughs> to watch the movie after. My mom's like, I like the movie, but where's your sister? I'm like, well, she's still tied to the tree. <laughs> my sister doesn't like when I tell that story. So I was going to be a filmmaker, a director. I got a director's chair. I knew everything about filmmaking. This is at, at the age of 11. At the age of like, yeah, 11, 12. Uh, and then I get to high school. Somebody comes up to me in high school and says, well, what are you going to do when you get out of high school? I'm like, well, I want to be a filmmaker. They're like, no, you don't. Because if you want to be a filmmaker, you're going to have to move out to Hollywood. And Hollywood is filled with weirdos, people like us. <laughs> and they said to me, you don't want to end up a weirdo, do you? And I said, no, I don't want to end up a weirdo. And right then and there, I gave up on my dream of wanting to be a filmmaker. Really? Because one person told me I would end up a strange weirdo. So that was it. So my did parents they define are, like what what did they mean by weirdo? I think they just thought like Hollywood is filled with you know strange you know like Venice Beach right you know like that's what I think people I mean, they're not wrong. <laughs> mm. It's true. Like, look, today I do live in Hollywood and I'm sure our kids would tell us their dads are weirdos. So, yeah, yeah. Right. So much for that. It has nothing to do with our professions, by right, the way. Right. That's right. <laughs> or the fact that we play with toys and things. Yes. So, yeah. Right. Um, but look, I gave up on the dream. My parents said, so what are you going to do? I said, well, I'll go back to drawing because that's really what I started to do at like a six and seven years old. I love to draw. So my parents hired an art teacher to come to the house. And every week she would teach me to draw from life. Mm -hmm. I remember she said to me, Saul, drawing is about seeing. You have to develop your eye to look at the world a certain way. And uh, I was terrible at drawing hands. That was like the biggest weakness for me. And she told me, draw your hand from a different position every single day before you go to bed and you'll get better at drawing hands. And she taught me one of the greatest lessons uh, about trying to turn our weakness into our strength. Amazing teacher and mentor. And uh, then I was going to be an artist. Until I went to the movies and saw another movie, The Little Mermaid. Yeah. So I'm watching that movie. The credits are rolling. I tap my mom. I'm like, mom, that's what I want to do. She's like, what? You, you want to fall in love with a fish? I'm like, <laughs> no, mom. I want to be an animator at Disney. Because you see, Jeff, animation combines my two passions. My love of drawing, my love of filmmaking, put them together, Disney. And plus, I found that they had a studio in Orlando. 
I don't have to go out to LA. So there I was, junior in high school, and I knew that my dream was to become a Disney animator. Uh, I just had a big problem. I didn't know how. You know, today you want to become a Disney animator. You type in Google, how do you become a Disney? You'll find out. You know, you'll get about 100 answers. Maybe 10 are actually right, but you know, you'll <laughs> find out. Well, back then, no internet. So my mom took me, not my older brother, not my twin sister, took me on a trip to Disney World and walks me around Disney World just to ask people, how can my son become a... It was actually very embarrassing. We were getting on the uh, It's a Small World boat She's ride. Disney World? Yeah. Like, that'd be like 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 <laughs> me going to like, you know, like a shopping mall and walking around and just asking people I meet. So how do I become a shoe designer? Exactly. <laughs> that's exactly what it was. Mom, if you're watching this, that's exactly what it felt like. <laughs> so we're getting on the It's a Small World boat ride. And the Disney employee, they're called cast members. Right. She says to my mom, uh, she says to us, how many in your party? We're stepping on. I'm like two. My mom goes, by the way, my son wants to be a Disney animator. Can you help him? The lady's like, ma'am, this is a boat ride. You know, <laughs> like we don't hire animators. We soon found out that Disney hires all of their employees at the Disney casting building, which is the most beautiful, whimsical building. Even the doorknobs look like the ones from Alice in Wonderland that speak. They were made out of brass. It was oh, amazing. Wow. I open up the doors. I walk into this atrium. Gold statuettes of Mickey, Donald, Pluto, Goof. Amazing. And even the air was like, like Disney or like pixie dust in the air. It was amazing. I go for the interview. The lady says, what do you do? And I'm like, I'd like to be a Disney animator. She goes, well, we don't hire those here. I said, well, who do you hire? She goes, well, people that work the rides. People that make the Dumbo ride go up. And I'm like, that's not my dream. She goes, well, hold on. Walks out of her office, comes in a minute later with a piece of paper, which became the most valuable piece of paper I ever held in my hands. It was a, uh, a list of eight schools, eight art schools that Disney recruits their artists from. And she said, if you want to be a Disney animator, you need to go to one of these schools. It was an incredible moment. Do you remember Jeff. what schools were on the list? Yeah, there was like Cal Arts and right. Ringling and Maryland. And that, that was the moment where I went from dreamer of how would I ever accomplish this to I have the recipe, you know, the recipe of how to achieve it. The equation in my head was now built. It was Saul plus go to one of these schools will equal dream of becoming a Disney animator. It's one of the things I tell students a lot. It's one thing to dream big. It's another to find out the process of how to accomplish something. So I went to one of these schools in Columbus, Ohio, the Columbus College of Art and Design, incredible school. And first week, Disney representative comes from Disney World. One of the original animators on Sleeping Beauty. His name was Bill Matthews. He used to hang out with Walt Disney. He stands on the stage. There's 750 students there. Every freshman, sophomore, junior, and senior. And he looks out to the audience and he says, before we begin, how many of you want to be Disney animators? Every hand went up. He said, just so you know, out of the 750 of you, maybe, just maybe four of you will ever work there. That's how competitive it is. And when he said that, I remember thinking, I wonder who the other three are going to be. <laughs> because look, in life, you know, we either believe in ourselves that we can accomplish or we don't. And then he said, if you want to get into Disney, you got to get the Disney internship. In order to get that, you need a portfolio, 25 pages filled with figure drawing and anatomy of animals and people all drawn from life. No cartoon characters, no drawings of Mickey Mouse. I was going to ask about that. Yeah. yeah. I never drew a cartoon character before I even got to Disney. I never did any animation before I got to Disney. All Disney wanted was us to be able to draw from life movement. We'd go to the zoo. I'd draw elephants walking back and forth at the zoo. I got my portfolio together my sophomore year, sent it into Disney, and I got rejected. All right, I didn't expect to get in the first time. I just wanted to go through the process. I remember I got an envelope in the mail. It had a Disney embossed Mickey. My name was typed on the front. I was happy they knew I was alive. Okay. Forget that I got rejected. Another year goes by, and I try to get into Disney again. Did you save that rejection letter? Oh, I saved it. Good. Yeah, there's, that's the fuel, right? That's yeah, the yeah, fuel yeah, yeah, to yeah. keep going. Second year I tried. It's my junior year, actually. And my best friend Andy gets in, and I got rejected again. And then... I came up with a way to take that feeling of being a failure away. I gave up on my whole dream. You know, that kid who was believed in himself as a freshman, I lost that belief in myself, gave up on the entire dream because reality said it. Reality was, you know, I was just a guy that really wanted to work there, but who was I to think that I could get it? You know, so often I meet people and, and they, they squash their dreams because they're like, you know what, dreams are for people like that. It's not for me. And I gave up and then I went to the movies again. It's incredible how movies, you see a movie at a certain time in your life and it speaks to what you're going through. So I went and I saw the movie. Wait, let me, let me guess. Yeah. 
Bloodsport 2. <laughs> ah, a movie about... I really see, wanted you know, to be the one who inspired you. Right, I know. The movie's about a guy who's five feet tall. He doesn't have an ounce of athletic ability. Oh, my bar mitzvah movies. <laughs> and he wants to play football at Notre Dame. What movie? Rudy. Boom. There you go. You know, you use that movie now in a sentence with people who are over the age of 30 and they know it. Under the age of 30, like, who's what? Never heard of it. But I saw that movie at the right time and tears were streaming down my face. I was crying because I was thinking if this kid who's unathletic and could get into Notre Dame with an insane amount of hard work, then me, who I thought was untalented, could get into Disney with an insane amount of hard work. I vowed to never give up. I got new drawings together, went to the zoo in the freezing cold. I and mean, I can tell you story after story. I got new drawings together, sent them into Disney and psh, a whole new world. <laughs> I got in. Good segue. <laughs> yeah. And started working on uh, Pocahontas. And there you go. I got my dream. And for anyone listening, you know, it's one thing uh, that I try to share a lot is that, you know, it's no reason you can't accomplish what you dream as long as you find out the recipe of how and put an insane amount of hard work to achieve it so what i'm getting from what you just told us is it was all just luck just luck just luck yeah. okay great moving on so um <laughs> no and and yeah. and you know just as a side note you know not to you know spoil alert but you're now working at dreamworks yeah. animation right the so competitor the competitor right. but you know, you go back to, you know, the, 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 you know, what throughout the game ball in your career ambitions was ET. So right. did you have that sense? Oh, like, oh, full circle. You, oh, you never actually, you never yeah, put I that never one really together. Put two and two together there. You're right. And if you look at that old Spielberg logo with the emblem, yeah, right? that's good. I like that. Wow. That's good. I'm surprised that full circle, full circle. So it really did start at DreamWorks in a way. In a way. I there like that, go. man. Yeah, I like okay. that. Yeah, you want to write that down? Yeah, actually, I did get to meet Spielberg a couple of times. And one time he came to campus and he gave this big presentation. Campus and meaning the DreamWorks campus. The DreamWorks campus, campus. Right, yeah. Right, right. It was just awesome. This is about only about a year and a half ago, right before the pandemic. And just to hear him speak about Jurassic and E.T. And I was like, wow, he's my guy. This show is brought to you by Showrunner Industries, makers of Writer's Room Pro. For more about the app and this show, make sure to check us out at writersroompro.com and follow us on Instagram at writersroompro. Now, back to the show. As a storyteller, because I, I, I know you to be a consummate storyteller, right? Even when just telling your person, like even the story you just told. Thank right? you, yeah. Um, right, so you're a fantastic storyteller. Um, but how is the storytelling process different or is it, let me do it this way, Is it, and I've worked in animation as well, is it different between telling an animated story versus a live action story? I believe I know the answer to it, but I want to hear it. Right, if you yeah, I know you know that. the answer to it because you've been a mentor of mine for years, by the Shut way. Up. Stop it. Stop but no, a little it. more, no, you are, and you have been. No, no, keep going, go on. Um, so, and we've talked about this because we are film geeks and we talk about this stuff all the time. Um, but yeah, here, here's the biggest, let me, let me answer it this way. Um, the, the biggest difference between live action and animation storytelling as far as process is when it comes to script, there is no difference as we know, right? Mm -hmm. it, all the same beats have to be there, you know, whether you're telling a movie about fish or humans, I mean, you know, Finding Nemo, it's not about fish. It's about a father and a son. And only because we relate to these characters as a father and son does it emotionally us go on that journey. So you have to relate to those characters. But the process is exactly the same for the script stage. The biggest difference is the storyboarding. Mm -hmm. Because as I tell uh, people who are new to animation all the time, especially directors, you need to allow your storyboard artist to find the moment because animation is a visual medium. Meaning in the script, it could say, you know, there is a, uh, oh, Aladdin and Jasmine get on a carpet and they fly around the city. But the script's not going to say they make a left, they make a right, they go under. It may say they see the Sphinx or something and the nose comes off like that great gag in the movie. Mm -hmm. But the visuals of it, those nuances, the board artists really find it. And I'll just give you one example that I can think of from Roger Rabbit. It was a Roger Rabbit short. Mark Henn was the animator, one of the greatest Disney animators who ever lived. He animated Jasmine. He animated Mulan. You've heard of his characters. <laughs> and Mark Henn got a scene where the script said, Roger Rabbit is underwater. He peeks his head up and looks around. That's what it said in the script. But what did Mark do? He had Roger Rabbit's ear come up. Boop. Boop. <laughs> Boop. 
and went down like could he see out of his ear no but it's a cartoon and that's what i love is like in animation you can find things if you allow your board artist to explore because it's a visual medium that's the biggest difference yeah it's i've I heard the aforementioned david weiss who uh, worked on uh, shrek and amongst many many other yeah. things but he talks about working on shrek 2 right and like the joke that everybody still loves and his favorite joke um was a, a board artist came up with it there you go right that's what i'm saying right. yeah 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 and so like he so it's like people will say oh i love that part where you know pinocchio is lying about wearing a thong right <laughs> right and his nose is growing and, you know it's like right it's a great gag and and he and he kind of like I think he's at the point where he just sort of like says thank you kind of sheepishly because it's like it was right. a board artist who just came up with that moment. That's right. And by the way, you'll look at great live action films. Hitchcock boarded all of his films mm -hmm. first, right? Um, James Cameron, he boarded all those flying sequences in Avatar. He didn't just go shoot. You know, he didn't block it that day. Right. So today with live action, being able to do things that, I mean, it's really, there's no real difference between fantastical films and live action, Iron Man, Avengers films, Star Wars films, mm -hmm. visually what they're doing. It's the same as The Incredibles. So all those great sequences are boarded out first also. So really, there really is right. no difference. Yeah, but I, uh, but I think the difference though, or there is a difference that um, there's like in the proverbial on the day in live action, right? you know, somebody comes up with an idea and you can really pivot. Right. That, that, that doesn't happen. That doesn't happen in animation, <laughs> right? right? Because so you, you, the script is recorded. Well, it's funny you say that there was a, a joke. I don't know if this was true, but I've heard it from a couple of sources that when Jeffrey Katzenberg mm -hmm. came to Disney, his first day on Little Mermaid, Little Mermaid was, they were finishing Oliver and Company. Disney was in trouble. They had made the Black Cauldron. They were going to shut down the studio. Michael Eisner comes in. Roy Disney, Walt's nephew, hires Michael Eisner brings in Roy um, Jeffrey Katzenberg, and Jeffrey Katzenberg is looking at the Little Mermaid script, and he's like, "Okay, well, let's." Um, and he says, "Let me see one of the reels they were cutting," and he goes, "Well, let me see. Is there other B roll? <laughs> <laughs> is there other shots that were shot from another angle? You know?" And they're like, "No, it's animation. <laughs> it's all drawn." You know, he didn't get that, so. You're right. There are no happy accidents day of. Right. But um, yeah. And the other thing that's that's different, the main thing is that working with actors, you know, you bring up working with actors in animation, actors are all using just a microphone. They could be sitting in their pajamas and often are, by the way. I've worked with crazy celebrities and they come in wearing sometimes crazy, you know, in bathrobes, basically. And they lend their voice to these characters and it's incredible. Um, so with those are happy accidents that come. I'll tell you one quick story. Jim Cummings is the foremost best VO guy in the business. Mm -hmm. I mean, he does voices for Winnie the Pooh. He does Tigger. <laughs> he does uh, right. um, who's the villain. He does uh, Pete in Mickey Mouse. Minnie, that right. guy. Right. I mean, he does all these characters. Um, and he comes in one day and the script, we had Tigger was supposed to gasp so all we wanted him to do was go <gasps> but jim goes gasp so he says the word and we just burst into tears laughing it's in the movie so there's right. happy accidents right. with the actors right 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 yeah right right but uh, yeah at the moment of recording at, yeah but they're also uh, i mean in anime i mean uh, you know i've lost my mind a couple of times like on the floor where you know um your your, your regulars have earned the right to um, you know your main cast to pull you aside, you know, yeah, as a showrunner, and say, hey, you know what, I'm, you know, I'm really kind of not feeling this. Right. Can we, can we adjust this? Can I do this instead? How about if I said this? And you know, and usually you indulge it if it's not if right. it's not dismantling something that's supposed to happen like five right. episodes down the road that they just don't know about yet, right? right? So you know, so that's the sort of the give right. and take. But um, but when you have a um, you have a, uh, a guest performer you know right. who's got i mean i've had this you know where they're like you know I, it's like a, <clears throat> you know like jeff uh, you, you need it on, on set you know what's going on it's like well the person who's got four lines wants to discuss them with you oh my god <laughs> and, like, and you show up are you kidding me <laughs> so as a courtesy you know you show up and you go uh-huh Okay, we really got to just stick to the lines, yeah. right? But does that happen in animation? Yeah, it does. Yeah, it happens on every project I've been on. Um, what we do is we say to the performer, uh, "Let's just get one as written for coverage uh, translation. Let's do it the right way." <laughs> you know? uh, no, there are those happy accents, like I said, but we will. That's happened all the time. We just say, "Let's just get one as written." 
uh, and then we allow them to explore it. Now we've also had, I've also worked with actors, Rob Schneider, for example, you know him from all those Adam okay. Sandler films. Um, we got what we wanted and he just was so creative and wonderful and never satisfied. He's like, are you sure you want me to try this or that? But what if we, he was thinking. And I love that when actors come in, first of all, they have to be prepared. And I say that to you and you think that's an obvious. We don't always get that. Sometimes actors come in in their pajamas and they've never looked at the script, right? Because they feel like they have, you, right. I, have right. a, I don't have to memorize it. It's just animation. It. Right. It's just a cartoon, right? Well, they have a point. They have a point. <laughs> so that's one thing. But when they come in prepared and they're really thinking, I, I love when they add to it. As long as we get it as written, a lot of happy accidents right. happen along the way. Well, besides Rob Schneider. Schneider. Yeah. Um, Schneider. Schneider. Schneider, yeah. Thank you. Um, sorry, Rob. Um, Mark Hamill. Uh, oh, God. I mean, we're in Star Wars world here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was going to ask, like, who's like the most prepared? Mark, that you've... Oh, oh he, I, I thought you said I, who. I mean, Mark Hamill, just to be able to direct <laughs> Mark Hamill. And I had that moment, you know, when he came in where I was like, is, am I going to tell him what he means to me? He probably knows. I mean, if I'm over 40. What's, what project? What, what? This was um, uh, a Korean uh, produced film that never got made. That we, oh. He came in. And, yeah. I mean, he does a lot of voiceover. He does the Joker. Well, Joker people, is. Right? Yeah. A great character. But he was, uh, you know, I, I, at the end of the session, I walked into his car and I said, I got to tell you. This is my first movie with Star Wars. It's an honor. And he's like, thank you. We took a picture. And then he invited me to his pool. I said, I have some kids. He goes, if you and the kids bring your wife, come down, come to my pool and come swim. Gave me his number. And I never took him up on it. Force Awakens came out. And I'm like, you know what? Am I an idiot for not swimming in Mark Hamill's pool? We got to go. And I couldn't find the number. I went and found the number through his contacts. And reached out and never heard anything. So, Mark, if you're watching, I got a couple of kids now, teenagers. We want to swim, man. Let's get wearing their bathing suits for the last nine years. I know. They're ready. They're ready. <laughs> Sunscreen, they're ready. Um, but I'll tell you the best to answer your question, who's the most pre uh, prepared and was John Mahoney, oh, if you remember him. Yeah. The late John Mahoney. Of course, he was the father in Frasier. Sure. The movie Say Anything. He was uh, the father in Kronk's New Groove, which was mm -hmm. one of the Disney movies I directed 100 years ago. <laughs> and uh, he came in and just was wonderful, professional, prepared, smart. Yeah, but you can't ask me the other side of the coin. No, no. Because no. I can't answer, though. But there have been actors who are quite big who come in and, you know, difficulty. Right. You know, James Woods was awesome. I wasn't going to say James Woods was not. Uh, he was awesome. Uh, uh, he was he was he was intimidating also because just his character is just bringing him right. in. But he was uh, also smart and and wonderful. So there's a couple. Okay, <laughs> I appreciate that. Yeah, okay. sounds so, like I'm name dropping, right? I'm hanging out with Mark Hamill. <laughs> yeah, 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 he hasn't quite recall. I should keep my phone here in case Mark's going right, to call me back right, right. now. <laughs> okay, yeah, sure. Okay. Hi, this is Stephen Kane. If you're listening, come get me, help me, get me out of this mess. I don't know why I volunteered for this, but I am a writer and a producer in television, and that's why they asked me to come join them for the Writer's Room Pros podcast, and that's what you're listening to. I think it was a kid. I read this like 10 years ago, but see how well I remember your right. books. And if you don't have his books, plug. I only have one book. Right. If you don't have his book, my story can beat up your story. Get the book. I've suggested your book. I'm finally excited to tell you this <laughs> to everyone I've ever worked with. Mark Hamill? I want, except for him. He, okay. he had no interest in writing, <laughs> but I've told people about your book. And there's this great example you give in your book about the stakes. Mm -hmm. And you talk about this kid that wants to take his bike, a kid that wants a bike. No one's going to care, but you're like, but if he wants to take his bike over to his grandmother who's dying or something, right? Yeah. Then you're going to care. Yeah. Right? Yeah. The, the, the actual, the, yeah, the, 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 you, go, you don't get, he doesn't the, give up. Right. The point was, was talking about writing right. for kids. Yeah. Right. Writing kid shows. And it's like, you know, will Billy get the bike? Right. right. I think it was like the title of that section. Will Billy get the bike? And it's like, nobody cares. It's like, right. like, like, you know, I was Billy once. I didn't get the bike. I survived. Right. But you understand that it's like right. not getting the bike. But I said, now, nah, but if Billy's going to get on the bike, you know, with the, you know, you know, antivirus serum, you know, that he's got to go. pedal to the White House to give it to the president before he, you know, nukes Russia, you know, whatever, you know, it's like. Now that's primal. Yeah, you know, right. Now we care. Now we care if he gets the right. bike. I right? love it. And by the way, you know, I learned a lot from that moment. And I went back and looked at the movie Rudy, which we talked mm -hmm. about earlier. And in the movie Rudy, I remember thinking, wait a minute, this movie is just about a guy that wants to play football at Notre Dame. There's bigger problems if you don't play football at Notre Dame. 
And when I went back to the film, I found one scene that made it work for me. Mm -hmm. The scene was, he's at the bus stop. He's going about, he's about to leave home and go on his dream. His father comes, sits next to him. And this is the moment where Rudy's about to either go for his dream or give up. And his father sits there and says to him, Rudy, you're a Rudiger. And there's nothing wrong with being a Rudiger. He whispers it. Mm -hmm. And what he's really telling Rudy is, this isn't about football. This is about, we're putting you in a box of who you are. Mm -hmm. Now it's primal. See, Rudy just didn't want to live in the box. And you tell me who I am. He wanted to be like, I can become an unlimited potential person. I could be whoever I want. And Notre Dame represented that. Now it's primal. Mm -hmm. So writers listening, get his book. It's an amazing book. My story well, can beat you. up your story. Yeah. And thank every you. writer I work with has it, just so you know, standard commonality. Thank you. Appreciate yeah. that. Nobody taught uh, me or others that I know how to build a log line like you did Aww, with your thanks. four, yeah, your four questions. That's incredible. And if you want to know more about the four questions, <laughs> check out his book. Wow. And thank you so much for coming. Um, <laughs> so uh, and, uh, this, this is like a dangerous question, right? Because I, I, I do not stray into politics, you know, on, mm -hmm. in this stuff. Nor do I. Yeah. As, <laughs> as, uh, not according to the HR department. Right. I still have a job. So, <laughs> yeah, that's you know? right. There you go. <laughs> right. So um, the, but it seems to me, it feels like could, could Pocahontas, well, maybe Pocahontas could be made today. Well, there's a lot of could differences. It? If you go back... I mean, could Little Mermaid be made today? No. Lots of things would not be made. First of all, the biggest change you have is um, you Pocahontas wouldn't be directed by people that were not Native American right. today. Right? That's a big thing. So today you have, you know, to get authenticity in the character... People are trying to get that culture to tell their story as opposed to other people telling a story about a culture they never lived. Mm -hmm. So that's a big change. I mean, you could even see in The Simpsons, the voice of uh, Dr. Hibbert, Hubbard, what's the doctor's name? Uh, okay. Was, uh, what's his name? Who did Hank the voice? Hank Azaria? No, no, the other guy, Shearer. Who did the voice? Oh, oh, oh yeah, yeah, I know. Uh, Harry Sher. Harry Sher, right. So it just was announced this week that Harry will no longer be doing the voice for the character he's done for well, Hank Azaria, I think, announced that he wasn't going oh, to be also, doing yeah a bunch yeah. of the, a bunch of the ethnic voices. Right. So you see a lot of authenticity and cultural appropriation uh, more today. But as far as the stories themselves, um, yeah, I don't think you would see a story where a girl, a Little Mermaid, is a girl who gives up her culture, being a mermaid. I mean, she's literally giving up who she is, not right. even her culture. She's giving up her what do you call it? Her not she her is. race, but I mean, she's going from being a fish to a human, right? Just for a man, like you wouldn't, they wouldn't do that anymore. I don't think they would. That's Prince Eric. Yeah, what's well, it makes sense, right? Makes sense. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of those changes. I mean, even Mulan. Um, I've I've heard I've heard some backlash over Mulan over the past year, uh, a little bit over that the over the live action or the animated? no the animated oh. that the filmmakers were not Asian. Mm -hmm. And that who were they to tell that story? Now, I can tell you from someone that worked on Mulan for four years and being at the Disney company, the two filmmakers, the directors, Barry and Tony, and their team went to China, brought in Chinese consultants on the story and the culture so that every piece of clothing, food, everything was as authentic as can be. But, um, you know, that's how things have really changed now as far right. as the storytellers themselves. Yeah. I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm so conflicted about this, you know. But yeah, I, I mean, I, I, yeah. I, I, from a humanistic viewpoint, I completely get it. Right. But then, I, 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 you know, you just wonder, like, at what point does it start becoming untenable? Mm. You know, like, like, I would think for sure, you're going to do the story of Mulan. You want people, um, you know, who live that culture, breathe that culture, right? Right. But, you know, so does that mean that, like, everybody associated with it? Like, for example, right. if, you know, if I'm, if I'm writing a scene, you know, for a uh, live action, right? You know, just a, you know, typical scene. Um, you know, does that mean that, that, you know, whatever, whatever gender or ethnic, ethnicity or, uh, you know, or, um, you know, sexual identity, of the characters in that scene, do, does that scene have to be written by, like, like the the woman has to write the woman's part and the right. you know, the trans person I mean, has that's to write where the it's trans going, part? Isn't it? I know, but but at what point does that right. you know, does that break down? Because it's right. like you can't 
I can't imagine what it would be like to, okay, right. well, here's a, it's a three-hander scene, right? And it's right. got, you know, it's got a, you know, a Jewish guy, a, uh, you know, a, right. you know, an Italian woman. Right. And, you know, and so, I mean, you know, at, at a certain point. Can only a Jewish writer write that? Right, Can right. only an Italian right. woman write that? Yeah, right. And, you know, and do they have to work together on that one scene? Right, which the line? Which the Writers Guild rules, you know, it's like, it doesn't work that way right. where it's like, you know, you can, you know, like, you know, do a patchwork of people. Yeah. It's an interesting question. It, I, don't, I don't know it, where it goes, but no, I agree. It's, it is interesting. I mean, look, you know, to, I'm, to, not, I'm not, I'm not, James Cameron wasn't a survivor from the Titanic and yet he was able to write a movie that moved us. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, Steven Spielberg probably didn't interview an alien, but ET was impactful. Right. Um, I, I think there's a line. Look, there's definitely something. Well, Spielberg I, couldn't direct color purple today. I don't think. No, that's for sure. Yeah. Yeah, that's for sure. And I think it's I think it's public knowledge that the Viola Davis, who won the Oscar for for, for the um, help for the help, I think uh, there I think she goes on record somewhere saying that she resented the fact that the filmmakers were not black. So mm -hmm. uh, even though the the movie had a very big impact, so I think you're you're in a place now where you definitely. I mean, personally, I'll tell you how I feel. I feel that there's definitely some. Uh, a lot of credibility to the idea that you want authentic storytelling and that diverse people of all cultures should be able to tell their stories. Th that I believe. I, I do believe that I see that. Um, but at the same time, uh, it is, you know, filmmaking is collaborative. And, you know, when you have the right team with certain leadership and, you know, people who are represented in the writer's room, I think that people can come together behind a, a common message, mm -hmm. you know? So I think it is a line, yeah. you know? And I think it's, I think we're all still learning the new rules. Right. You yeah. know, in a way, you know, so I mean, yeah. I'm, and I'm saying all this with, you know, with, without, without harsh judgment at all. Right. right. I think it's, you know, a lot of it is long overdue. You know, I just wonder as a, as a, as a process, you know, what does that process look like? Because in anime, the reason why I thought it would be interesting to ask you about it is that in TV, you know, it's like, you come up with an idea, you know, like on a Monday for an episode, the room could be working on it by, you know, by Tuesday right, and, and you could be going it. to camera, you know, three weeks later, right? right? You know, in animation, you come up with an idea for, for animation and like, I'll see you in five years. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, like, it's, it's like you're watching <laughs> the process in slow motion. So there's a lot more. Right. Yeah, I thought talking to you about a lot of changes can happen. Yeah, right. Exactly. Well, look on uh, Lilo and Stitch, uh, which... I can't even believe how that's over 20 years ago. Uh, the end of that scene where originally was boarded, there was this huge airplane chase through Hawaii and 9-11 hit. And that whole sequence had to be totally redone. Yeah. Um, in our, uh, in the show that I'm doing now, supervising producer on uh, Madagascar, A Little Wild, uh, we had a character, Marty, who is the, he's the zebra. You know him voiced by Chris Rock in the in films. The, in the films, right. But in our preschool version, he aspired to be a police horse. Uh, and the police in the past years was in a bad light. And DreamWorks just didn't want to be controversial. So they changed the character from Marty wanting to emulate a police horse to him wanting to emulate a park ranger horse mm -hmm. because, you know, the police were so under the spotlight. Right. And um, so, yeah, you will see social uh, awareness make changes in animation, right. uh, especially uh, in, in our medium. Yeah. 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 Well, look, we do have a responsibility as yeah. storytellers. So, right. To, exactly. You know, embrace the times. You know, it's like, right. you know, there's, there's, there's a lot of people out there who, you know, for whatever reasons, you know, they... You know, they feel like they're, I mean, I remember somebody told, this was like when I was first getting started. So the, yeah. this, the story, you know, th those of you who don't <laughs> remember this, there was a TV show in the 60s called Mannix, mm -hmm. right? Uh, you know, anyway, That's before me. It's before you. You got me on that it's one. before you. So, um, so, you know, so the reason why I mentioned this is that it was a detective show and um, that I was talking to an executive like early, early on in my career. And I was asking, well, is there any, you know, because this is when the Writers Guild was big on ageism. Mm. Right? That was the big thing they had to worry about, that right. you know, older writers you know, weren't getting hired. Right. So I asked this, and now I'm like 32 <laughs> or something like that. I'm talking, you know, so yeah. I'm not worried about ageism. Right. You know, well, that was fast. Um, but, <laughs> right. um, but I asked this producer, I said, well, you know, is there, what do you think? Is there ageism? 
He goes, he goes, no, not real. He goes, I, I'd hire anybody. The problem is, is that these writers show up in like a polyester jumpsuits and the last credit they had was Mannix. Right. And, you know, then I, you know, they don't get hired and then they think it's because they're old. Right. It's no, it's because they didn't keep up with the, you know, with the, the changing of society right. Right. and the more mores and that the awareness of it, where the culture was changing. Right. Exactly. So they were, they were kind of like frozen in time. That was why. That was why. Right. Right. That, so that yeah, right, right, right. So that, that, so I thought that was an interesting thing. So I always try to, yeah. you know, kind of stay current, but at a certain point it's just, well now it, it's like so hard to, it is, you know, I'm, stay on top of I'm thinking about animation specifically. I remember the first change that I experienced was really of how women, uh, female characters were portrayed in film. Mm -hmm. You know, it used to be the woman was the damsel in distress, right? Right. Um, Disney changed it a little, a lot with Pocahontas. Cause if you think about little mermaid was, I give up my family, I will never see them again, everything. I give up who I am for love, where Pocahontas did not. She she says, my people need me. I love you, John Smith, but I need to stay here. My place is here. And that was a huge deal because mm -hmm. no one ever saw a Disney movie where the, the love interests don't end up together at the end. That was a big deal. You have movies like Hercules where Meg had voiced by Susan Egan just had a lot of edge to her character. She actually had a song called, I Won't Say I'm In Love. I won't be that. But the movie that really changed it was really Shrek in the way that Fiona mm. um, was, first of all, I'm not going to be this beautiful, you know, slim Barbie. I mean, I, I was working on Pocahontas and I had people come to me all the time and Disney went through lots of hardship because people are like, well, Barbie, Pocahontas looks like a Barbie doll. Mm -hmm. I mean, she didn't look like that. Um, if you look at what Pocahontas really looked like and what Disney did, Quite different, you know, <laughs> and people resented that. Um, but Shrek really came in and said, we're going to turn everything on its ear. We're going to do what Disney can't do. Mm -hmm. um, and they had, you know, Fiona was overweight and right. And I don't need to be saved by you. Right. That made a lot of changes. And I don't think you will see that again as far as females that are not strong willed and ambitious. Sure. Uh, uh, so that's a big change that's happened. In yeah. the last fifteen years, yeah, you know. I, it's but it's funny for the better, right? But you know, can a can a guy write a you know a strong woman character and get away with it? I mean, the last four things I did right. that I wrote, it, yeah. it was it was a strong female lead, like in every one right. of them, and um, you know, and I'm I like I wonder, you know, could that. Yeah, will preschool yeah. kids be writing their own shows? <laughs> <laughs> That's the question. That's right. Yeah, you do. You cannot write a. Yeah. yeah. Who the heck are you? You're not in a diaper. You can't write a kid in a diaper. You right. know. I know. It was so funny. Well. It I don't know. This, this, that's a that, that this conversation is a variant of conversations I've had even over the years. Where it's like right. it's like dealing with with network executives, you know, sure. like like working, you know, like I was I remember working on a uh, on a teen live action teen teen show that was a show running called Overruled, and uh, and like the back then, so this is going back maybe twenty years. The um, it was like every. Every episode, like ultimately, well, what's what's the message of every episode? You know, you know, you know, be believe true to yourself. yourself. Believe yeah, in yourself. Right. right. Exactly. Believe in yourself. Fight, right. fight for what you believe in. Right. right? So I have these meetings with with the, like, <laughs> you know, with, rooms, the with the executives, and it's and it's like you know, yeah, we don't think this is gonna work. And I go, well, you know, I got to believe in myself. I got to fight for what I believe in. Like, no, just stop that. Just, just change that. <laughs> right. It's like, wait a minute. <laughs> we write it. We don't live it. Come on. Yeah, something right. like that. Wow. That's awesome. Yeah. So what's like your in your opinion, we'll go with feature yeah. in animation, like animated feature. Like, what do you think is like the perfect oh, animated love, movie? I love this topic. You know, I don't want to say like best animated movie, I'll tell you because, you know, can, can I steal some of your thunder? Sure. So, so I just give you some context. Right. Because I, I, so initially I was going to ask, what do you think was like the most influential? But different times, like, yeah. you know, uh, Snow White. Hugely influential, oh, right? Course. Right? Yeah. Right? It just it's, it made people go, oh, animation's not just for kids, right? Right? And then you can go, Toy Story was hugely influential, right? Because they, they, they certain hadn't movies been... come and they've changed the world exactly, of animation. right? But in just in terms as a storyteller, right? Right? It's the, what's the animated feature you look at and you go, yeah, that's the one, right? I get to pick one, right? Yeah. Okay. Well, first, before I answer that question, let me just tell and you. It can't be Crumbs in the Group. No, no, I can't. Uh, but let me tell you, uh, I'll tell you a quick story. Toy Story, I was working on Mulan at the time. Toy mm -hmm. Story was made. And John Lasseter came to our studio. Toy Story was in the middle. 
of being made. Mm -hmm. And we had a screening in a, in a theater at Disney and we were kind of arrogant working on hand-drawn Mulan. Right. And we're like, what's this computer thing? And you know, we're Disney. What's Pixar? No one ever heard of it. Right. And John Lasseter brings in a, you know, a work in progress reel and he shows it in this big theater for just animators, you know, everyone at Disney. And we are the most cynical bunch. Jeff, you would have loved it. And we're just sitting in there and anything that starts, we just make jokes. It's like Mystery Science Theater. Like we're not stopping talking. Well, Lasseter is in the theater. Yeah. Oh, dude. We You're horrible. I, it wasn't me. It was this guy. And I was <laughs> so... But this I will never forget. It's like act one of Toy Story. And there's a scene. First of all, there was no song. There was no character singing in a movie. Mm -hmm. You didn't get Alan Menken to write music? Who do you think you are? Right. Like we had the formula. You're breaking the formula? So we saw that as a threat to what we were doing. But there's a scene in Toy Story when the uh, soldiers go down to find out who the new toy is, yeah, yeah, yeah. right? And, and when mom opens the door, they have to freeze in their position. She steps on one of them, right? And now he's mangled. She walks on. The other one comes over to him. It's like, go on without, without me. me. <laughs> so that joke hits. Right. And we all burst into tears laughing. And you could hear a pin drop. There was no more Mystery Science Theater. I walked out of there that day. I never laughed so hard. Uh -huh. I saw, I get goosebumps now. I remember because, and this is a great thing for writers to hear. You know, don't think that you need to follow a formula. Not only should you not follow a formula, but to come up with something fresh. You know, um, Will Smith made the movie uh, Men in Black. Mm -hmm. Huge movie. Made Barry Sonnenfeld, right? It cost, let's say, 40 million, made a couple of hundred million and they took that formula of Will Smith, sci-fi fantasy, Will Smith music video for the promotion, and they did it again for Wild Wild West with him and Kevin Klein. The movie bombed. It mm -hmm. cost so much more, by the way, because they put so much more into it. Like, oh, right. we're going to make so much. The movie bombed that same year. What, like, swept the box office? Eight kids with a film camera in Long Island in a forest. Mm -hmm. Blair Witch Project. Right. Right, so one of the things yeah, that the Blair Witch was uh, that's <laughs> well, like was. lightning in a bottle. It was lightning in a bottle, but right. the point is still there: is don't think just because you follow that formula mm -hmm. that you're going to have success again. By the way, Disney, when Pixar was created, Disney went through a lot of trouble. They made movies that you probably never even heard of, or some of your listeners, Atlantis, Treasure Planet. Mm -hmm. I know people are like I never even heard of these movies. The formula wasn't working, and Pixar was coming up with something new. And while Toy Story was lightning in a bottle. They hit lightning for every movie. Oh, I don't think Toy Story was lightning in a bottle. I thought it was like it was the herald of a oh yeah yeah you know, a whole brand new right brand new thing. And that that really changed it all for me. That's the time I walked out of a theater and I was like, okay, everything is different. The next time I felt that was The Incredibles, and I know mm -hmm. that you and I have talked about this film before. Yeah, yeah. That's where I saw Brad Bird make a film that literally had a live action sensibility. You never really saw action sequences like that, but it still was grounded in family and, and the whimsy of animation, beautiful. But to answer your question, <laughs> Lion King. Lion King. That, that's, that's the movie for me. That, that's the movie that... Even though it was not written or directed by lions. Right, exactly. Huh. Yeah, and by the way, you would never get that today, right? Matthew Broderick, white oh, guy yeah, doing yeah, yeah, it, right? Yeah, yeah. So times have changed. And and by the way, um I remember Disney has had a lot of backlash on that film that there weren't more uh, African American uh creators on the project. It, it hasn't been easy for Disney, but let's just talk about that film for a second. That was the movie that first of all it's it's it was not an Alan Menken film. Alan Menken wrote the music to Little Mermaid, Beauty and the Beast, mm -hmm. Aladdin, Hunchback, skipped over Lion King, which it was Elton John. It was Elton John, right, with Hans Zimmer, and that movie Lion King became the biggest movie of all time. BF before Frozen, mm -hmm. right? And the reason I chose that movie for the answer is because Lion King had something so primal in it, Jeff. It wasn't because we love movies about lions. It's because that movie gave us a taste of our own potential. When you watch Simba climbing that mountain at the end of the movie after his father died, hopefully I didn't spoil it for anybody. Whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah, it's 40 years ago, people. If you haven't seen <laughs> The Lion King, you deserve to have it ruined. Wait, it's not 40 years, is it? I mean, it's, it's like 94. How many years ago is that? 30? I'm not a math guy. Is it 30? All right. So 94, it, 2004, 2014. Yeah, almost 30. 
the kid's almost 30, 30, 40. What's the difference? Lots of difference. Well, actually 10 years. Is the on, the cosmic, <laughs> on the cosmic calendar, who right. cares? I mean, it's a long time ago. If you haven't seen it, sorry. You deserve to have it ruined. And But that movie showed us that greatness is not being able to do whatever you want in life. You know, Simba thinks in the beginning, I just can't wait to be king. Mufasa's like, Simba, there's more to being a king than getting your way all the time. Simba's like, there's more. The message of that film is so primal for me and I think mm -hmm. for the audiences, which is that greatness is really responsibility. You know, being a leader means taking responsibility for the world. As a matter of fact, Nala shows up. You remember at the midpoint of the film, she's like, Simba, you got to come back with me. Scar's taking over everything. He's like, no, no, Hakuna Matata. I'm staying here. No worries. And she's like, no, no, maybe I didn't make myself clear. Scar's taking over everything. And if you don't come back, everyone's going to die and you're responsible. And then he says, Hakuna Matata, I'm staying here. She leaves him. He's stuck there. Rafiki comes over, hits him in the head. He sees his father's reflection. Remember who you are. <laughs> he goes back to feet Scar and it becomes that big film because that movie shows us responsibility is greatness. It's like what you said earlier at being writers, filmmakers, and I hope all your listeners are getting this. If you choose to come into this field because you're passionate about writing, filmmaking, whatever it is, don't just approach your projects because you want to make yourself happy. You have to approach it where you see that this passion, ability you have is a gift and ultimately a responsibility to make an impact. That's why personally for me, I try to choose projects that will make an impact. Things like Doc McStuffins, things like Winnie the Pooh, you know, things mm -hmm. that are going to make an impact for kids. And when I get people who have grown up and they come up to me and they're like, oh, I saw your movie. It inspired me to do this or that. I mean, what could be more fulfilling? But that's really the movie for me, Lion King remember who you are <laughs> it's the circle of life there you go <laughs> fantastic okay yeah i i don't know for me because I'm, i know you really wanted to get my opinion on yeah it. what is this what is yours in animation is it winnie the pooh springtime with rue Nah. really nah. maybe you haven't seen it then because if you nah, had I, seen it nah, you obviously didn't, didn't do it about. for me no no, I, I, I did a whole dissertation on what, why that movie failed. Oh. Um, the, no, it's a fantastic. I actually, it did not fail. It did not fail. No, I've seen the movie. It's, it actually is really good. Right. Saul made that movie. It wasn't as uh, big as Lion King. It's but pretty close. Pretty close. It's pretty, no pretty, pretty, pretty close. Yeah, it's no Bloodsport 2. Um, I, I, I think uh, Toy Story, the original yeah. Toy Story. I remember sitting in the theater in the middle of the day on my own, it was like 95 ish. Right. And or what so. were your expectations? I thought, you know, I like, you know, flashy, blinky things. It's a computer animated right. movie. It'll be, you know, people saying it's good. I remember sitting there, you know, like my Rocky II experience. Like I remember getting everybody on their feet, you know, cheering. I remember sitting, watching, like as if it was this morning, watching Toy Story, wishing it would never end. Well, like, like, like dreading that, you know, the, you know, 90 minutes or whatever it was, right. you know, was, was, you know, clearly coming to an end. You know, I was so taken wow. by that movie and structurally just perfect. Right. Like just perfect. Oh my gosh. Know? But that's also like when you, when you work on something and you know, that's kind of the, you know, it's part of the secret sauce over at Pixar. Is that they keep going over it and over and over again? Oh yeah, right. It's it's surprising when one of their movies is not perfect. You know, I've had people tell me before. I've been in meetings with producers, overseas producers. They'll be like, "I want to make an animated film, and I want it to be like a Pixar film." So I say, "Well, how big is your budget?" They're like, "It's about you know, eight to twenty million, somewhere in that range." I'm like, "Well, a Pixar movie, at least at that time, was two hundred million." And I said, "How long is your production?" They're like, "A year." I'm like, okay, you ain't making no Pixar movie. Right. They're four and a half years. The right. You're only writing at eight, year. eight to twenty million dollars is what Pixar spends on corn nuts and M and M's. That's their research and development on just how water should look for Finding Nemo. Right. But people don't realize that to make a solid story, and I'm happy you highlighted this, it takes going over it again and again. And let me tell you how many versions of Toy Story there were to get to what you loved. Ooh, can I guess? Oh, it, I mean, it's like it's over 12 or 15 versions of just act one. Wow. They boarded that thing 15 times. Jeez. And characters are unlikable. I mean, Aladdin, in the beginning of that, there was a screening where Aladdin was unlikable. He steals a loaf of bread. 
And he was like nerdy. And mm-hmm. Jeffrey Katzenberg is in that screening. He's like, you know what? You need to make him cooler. Jasmine is so beautiful. Why would she go with a scrawny nerd? He, and he says, make him more like Tom Cruise. Mm-hmm. And Glenn Keane goes back to his desk with a picture of Tom Cruise and made Aladdin look cool. And then to make Aladdin likable, they're like, well, he just stole a loaf of bread. How do we make him likable? Oh, he gives the loaf of bread now to kids that are hungry that are trying Dare to get I food. say, pet Save the dog. The- no, pet the dog. <laughs> That's right, pet the dog. So yeah, so like the animation is a process where things are gone over again and again. I mean, Pocahontas, there was a sequence where right before John Smith is going to get killed, mm-hmm. the night before Pocahontas sneaks into his tent, the scene was boarded, animated, color. The song was recorded. Yes, Mel Gibson sang. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the song's called If I Never Knew You is one of our favorite sequences. And I will never forget the day I came in and everyone looked like someone had died because they cut the scene out of the movie. Because oh. during a screening, it just, it slowed it down. Right. You know, and um, you, know, you can never love your sequence, your gag too much if it doesn't service the story. But Toy Story really was the one. I, I totally agree. That was the one where tonally, you saw something so different, so unique, and so incredibly fun, right? Oh. Yeah. Not, it's, and it's rare to feel that, isn't it? Yeah. I, you know, I don't even watch all the new Disney animated films anymore. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't, I mean, I have four kids and a puppy and a lot of careers, and so I don't even have the time, but a lot of times I'm, not, I'm always looking. I said to my wife the other day, I'm like, I want someone to like wow me again. Right. Like Toy Story and Incredibles, those were the two. Incredibles was. Amazing. Right, that did it. Yeah, you know? yeah. Incredibles Amazing. is probably not like number two yeah. in my like right favorite. Like when you saw that, because you you thought you'd seen it all with Toy Story, and then they did that, and you're like, wow, right. yeah, that's possible. That's possible, right? Yeah, incredible. So, so please, whoever's listening, show us in the future what's possible. <laughs> right? Wow, super inspirational. There you go. Right. That's very life of awesome of you. There you go. Oh, see, he's brought it right back around. Plug it again. Plug it again. You don't want a life that's good. You don't want, want a, a life, life that's, that's great. great. You, you want, want a life that's, that's awesome. awesome. So then the podcast should have been life that's awesome. Yeah, but life, of, it's just rings. You don't want a life of good. No, I kind of do want a life of good. I think you got to rethink your whole podcast. Uh, okay. This episode is over. I'm leaving. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Saul, thank you so much for coming. Oh, it was, my gosh. I, you know, it's obvious we've known each other and we're actually. Is it obvious? Is it, this is certain yeah, formality. I don't know you as well as I know Mark Hamill. Right, well, we swim a lot. Right. So, but, um, but, uh, but the reality of being your friend is that this is who you are all the time. Right. I mean, you know, Saul is never, you are never not on, you are never not interesting. You're never oh, not engaging. You. Right. Um, you are awesome. So, oh. so thank you so much for being with us. And, uh, well, let know. me, let me say that you have been a mentor. I, 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 I gave the hint of it earlier, but you really have been a mentor of mine for over 15 years. I've learned so much from you, your book, your, I mean, how many times have I called you on projects I'm on? You've given me incredible wisdom and and you've helped me navigate my career. And I owe a huge debt of gratitude to you. And I thank you for that. And I, I also have gratitude to your audience for tuning in. Um, you found the right podcast. You found the right person to yeah. learn from. And if you're smart, you will tell all of your writer friends about what he's doing. Because I can tell you from many people that I know who have learned from his wisdom their careers change in the most incredible ways. So I urge you share this podcast and what Jeff's doing with all your friends. A big thanks to Saul for joining us. Make sure you tune in next week for our interview with one of the top acting coaches working today, Richard Lawson. See you next time.